Welcome in to the new PFF NFL Daily. Here's a recent snippet from the PFF NFL podcast. What was your big takeaway from uh, Monday Night Football where, again, another one of these weird games where Eagles had it for most of the game and then late on they conspired to find a way of throwing it away? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The takeaway that I had was we talked a lot about the Eagles' defense, and for good reason. They've struggled in a lot of these recent losses, and even in some of the wins, like the Buffalo game, etc. The offense, I think, because they've scored points and closed out drives and they have a cheat code play, it like kind of went under the radar. This offense has been kind of clunky and out of sorts and bailed out by some Jalen Hurts hero ball for much of the season. But like if you watch pretty much all their games this year, I'm sure I'm forgetting you know a handful here and there, you never sit there being like, oh, this is like an efficient offense that I trust to drive 80 yards down the field and consistently score. And I know some underlying metrics are strong, but it's just, I think it's finally popping up now where they can't even, you know, it's like if Hertz doesn't scramble around and hit a shot play to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, like they just struggle to sustain, you know, competent drives at times. And obviously last night against a, a reeling defense, a defense that's been terrible for like six weeks, um, they really couldn't do much. And that push play probably actually hides a worse story for the offense. Like if they didn't have that cheat code play on third and fourth and short anytime they wanted it, the offense would look a lot worse. Like think how many drives that's extending and allowing them to kind of paint over this picture of, as you say, a struggling, clunky offense for almost the entire season. Um, I, I do wonder like how much of that is Jalen Hurts playing through injury, you know, dealing with that knee injury, battling through to an extent, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless that's going to heal itself over the course of the year and, and resolve itself by the playoffs, it's irrelevant why. But it is, you know, a potential explanation for why some of these things are happening. Like, Hertz is not playing as well as he did last year, even though, you know, he's setting rushing records for touchdowns because of the push play. And he's not playing badly. It's just he's not playing at the level he was a year ago. Yeah. Obviously, the injury can impact you in a million different ways, but he does, even when it was at, at its worst and he, you'd see him limping back to the huddle like on a consistent basis, he still has been running around and scrambling like crazy. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, pretty high average time to throw, and you mentioned all the rushing touchdowns. Like, if you can do a fish push five times a game and scramble a ton, your knee's good enough. And again, I'm not trying to say, like, it's not a factor, um, but it's just like you can't I, – I personally don't sit there and be like, oh, dang, he's clearly – like really, really struggling, and right. that's why the offense isn't playing well. I think it's more just, I don't know. It, it does also come back to on both sides of the ball. I think they're very top-heavy now, and I think last year they got away with it by just being, being able to line up and just be better than their opponents. Now you're just – your concentration of targets is two receivers and, and, and a tight end, you know, get with Goddard back in the fold. There's just – they have no tertiary options on offense. The run game is fine, but it, it, it's nothing special. Now defense, kind of same thing. You lose Darius Slay – and it's just like there are dudes you have Jalen Carter step up and all these things but but like the depth I think last year was probably better uh, than it is this year it was a strange game for the offense because there were various periods of this game where it felt like they could just like hook curl you know curl flat the Seahawks to death and just keep firing into the the gap in zones and march down the field and every time they felt like they'd hit that that zone where they were just firing away, picking up 10 yards every single time, they then went away from it and started doing something else. And it's like, why? Like this is working. Just keep doing it until they stop it. Even late in the game, right? They were on one, another one of those drives. And then, as the Manning said, they got greedy. They, they wanted to take a shot, and they, they fired it into the end zone and turned the ball over instead of just like, 
they almost certainly would have picked up the next 50 yards if they just kept doing what they were doing. Instead, they wanted it all on one play, got too aggressive, put the ball in harm's way, and turned it over. I, like, I don't understand why they went. They kept going away from the thing that was working. No, that's a great point. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it just it didn't seem necessary in the game. You didn't need to force it. Uh, I think that throw, too, the, the, the turnover to was A.J. Brown in the, in the left side of the end zone, that was, like I think, second down. It wasn't third down. Right. Um, so it's just, yeah, it, just, it seemed unnecessary for sure. Um, and then, like, the other thing from this game was, was their defense, which, you know, again, has not been as good as it was last season, although with more, I think, reason for it. Like, the personnel on uh, in – in the main, on the offensive side of the ball, is the same. The personnel and defense has undergone a lot of turnover, so it kind of makes more sense. But Seattle was able to run the ball really well. Like they, they were doing a really good job running on this defensive line that you're not supposed to be able to run on because of um, the, the talent, the personnel that they have. And then obviously Drew Locke came up clutch with a couple of big plays at the end, albeit that drive, like the game-winning drive, was insane. Like, from start to finish. Play number one, he hits a guy in the chest, and it almost gets intercepted because he drops it. Then you have, like, a, a pass that should have potentially been intercepted, ends up actually getting caught by DK Metcalf, like, pinning it against his ass cheek one-handed. Um, and then all the way down to, like, takes an absolute bomb, scores a touchdown on, on third down instead of just trying to pick up a first down. Like, just a crazy game-winning drive at the death for the Seahawks. Yeah, and you know, shout out new new defensive play caller Matt Patricia leaving James Bradbury in single coverage on an island with no help over the top. Uh, didn't love that idea, and uh, you know the, the the field goal drive was even wackier than the touchdown drive. Frankly, there was um, you know a big play from Keely Ringo who actually thought was solid in this game and hasn't put a ton, but the big pass breakup on DK Metcalf over the middle, um, and then they find a way to convert you know the, the fourth and short the first time uh, before Pete Carroll's brain just spontaneously combusted down down in the red zone, but. Yeah, like, yeah, obviously there was some flukiness to it, but this defense, again, for me there, it's just a fragility. We talked about last year, like, you have two Pro Bowl guys in Darius Slay and James Bradbury, and and they push to keep those guys, and I get why, but two 30-plus-year-old corners, Slay injury, not surprising. James Bradbury regressing, not surprising. And, and like, here we are where you're throwing in Josh Joby or Keely Ringos, etc., we got Bradley Roby playing in the slot a good bit and and playing all over, really. It's just you, you can't have, you know, we know the weak link nature of a defense, and the defensive line just isn't, you know, they have, what, 70 sacks last year or whatever it is. Like, they're not masking the issues like they have in years past, which is a lot to ask uh, because they're just, they're just so susceptible right now on the back end. The James Bradbury thing is sort of showing the – just the volatility of cornerback play and how how dangerous that can be in terms of playing around with your salary cap and all that kind of thing. Like last year, they got an all-pro caliber season out of James Bradbury for pennies on the dollar because of the way they picked him up after the Giants cut him. And then this year, they end up paying him the offseason. Now they're paying him like all-pro money and they're getting a bad season out of him. Like they're getting the exact opposite experience from James Bradbury, which, which when you look at his career – was always within the range of outcomes, right? That guy has been a very volatile player at a very volatile position, and they've gone from getting, like, the best version of this, um, you know, best play for cheapest money to, like, most expensive money and worst version of him. It's like it's night and day this year versus a season ago from for the James Bradbury experience. We're more than halfway through the NFL season. DraftKings Sportsbook still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet just five bucks on anything 
to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Bet on anything, five bucks. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener, a sweetener offer every single game this October. You can get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use code PFF. So you can go check out Monday Night Football tonight. You got Niners, you got the Vikings. You can go do it right now. If you're a new customer, you can bet just $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in ONT, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.com. Sorry, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football. Terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. And yeah, like you said, that's the high variance nature of the position, especially when you're, you know, early 30s and yeah, but like even blame the defense. I mean, we're blaming the defense, but the defense wasn't the problem. I mean, the yeah. offense really just could not sustain drives against the defense that has been just picked apart. And then Devin Witherspoon, who I know has been picked on in coverage, but not there to make splash plays. You know, Julian Love get, picks off his former NFC East foe twice. And Seattle's so interesting. Like they have, you know, three players in Jamal Adams, Devin Witherspoon, and, and Love that can kind of be that roamer, play in the slot a little bit, um, come down in the box and make plays, also play deep. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's it, it was just it was a bizarre offensive output from Philadelphia. People have been driving them off the football with with relative ease. Like you are getting great years from Jaron Reed and Leonard Williams has been a good pickup. Probably not worth the, the the cost, but it just it wasn't a Philadelphia Eagles game. Like you said, taking shots when it wasn't necessary. It just seemed like if they just played their style of football, it probably would have worked out. Even if it was ugly, it probably would have worked out. I wanted to uh, I want to get your take on the Matt Patricia thing um, at the end here, but first I, I wanted to give a shout out to Drew Locke, who Drew Locke played well. Like it's he didn't have a perfect game. Um, there were some mistakes in there as well, but he played well, uh, passed the ball well, had that block on the touchdown where he's out in front um, blocking. I think he blocked Eli Ricks like right into the end zone on Kenneth Walker's score. And then at the end, you know, after the game's done, they they interviewed Drew Locke and. He gave what I think is the most interesting interview I've heard from a player post-game in a long time. Like, we're all guilty of doing this, right? But we we tend to reduce these players into abstractions, and this becomes a transactional discussion and a, you know, a sort of just a, a very detached view of, yeah, of course they should play this guy, not this guy, and, you know, re- increase playing time, don't give him money, give him money, whatever it is. And Drew Locke humanized it all in the space of like 30 seconds, right? He's like tearing up. He was explaining how he doubted himself, right? He went from, you're a quarterback, you're a big man on campus in college, you're supposed to have this unshakable confidence. And then the way his career had gone and he finds himself as a backup, he's talking about how he did doubt himself. And then he goes out there, has this good game and kind of reminded himself like you're, you know, you are capable of doing this. You're this is your dream, like go out there and have a great game. And then he does, he hits the big bomb and wins the game. It's like, it was just this amazing, like minute long, 30 second snippet of, these are real people with real lives, real dreams and real highs that he just hit that the like, you know, the rest of us 
will never even experience, let alone, um, you know, appreciate what it means. It was just a really nice moment for Drew Locke, and I felt really good for him. Yeah, it was cool. I think first, what impressed me on the field was uh, average time to throw below 2.3 seconds. And he struggled at times to get the ball out quickly, you know, can be a freelancer, can try to, you know, make an explosive happen at any given moment. And so that I thought was, you know, get the ball out quickly, um, you know, spread it around too. But then, yeah, I think we forget and maybe don't talk enough about like the adjustment from going from, you know, multi-year SEC starter, absolute gunslinger, second round pick, like supposed to be a starter to then just forgotten, traded away, not playing at all. Like he's probably been the best athlete he's known since the day he was born until he turned 20. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, you're not even good enough to play. Uh, And then the game is so different at the NFL level. Like it's, it really is um, this massive, massive shift in just mentality and, and your, your perspective on life. And you're in your you know early 20s when it happens for a lot of these guys too. It, it was very very cool, and, and obviously you know shout out all of his teammates, um, you know, and, and all that good stuff. But but clearly it meant a, a whole lot to him, particularly for him as well, because like the problems in his NFL career have not been physical. I mean, he's got a good arm, he's big, he's like he's a prototype, he's a prototypical NFL quarterback from an athletic standpoint. Right? He's got all the tools you want. It's been a mental thing. It's been between the ears, and that's what he's sort of shown signs of recently, turning the corner on and maybe developing and maybe getting better. So for him, it's like you you have that shift in you're the best guy, to, now you're not. In fact, you're not even good enough to start. But it's not because you don't have the talent. It's because you haven't been able to put it together mentally yet. Like that must be an, an ever-increasing, um, more difficult thing to accept. It's not like I'm just not good enough at this level. It's like... Yeah, I should be able to get this. I just haven't been able to yet. So let me finish with the Matt Patricia thing. I found this a really interesting move. Um, Not only do they essentially make a change in coaching, like they've basically given Matt Patricia control of the defense. They've taken it away. But also it came with a corresponding move of Desai has now been sort of put up into the booth, right? So not only are we, are we basically giving control of the defense to Matt Patricia and letting him take over, but you're being sort of positioned as this airborne, eye-in-the-sky view on the defense to still communicate and still have a thing. And there were some reports, I forget where I read it, that were sort of saying, you know, everybody respects Desai, but he doesn't sort of have the, the air of confidence that they're, they're wanting from this. So they almost like appreciate his information and his analytical, you know, eye of things and his take on the defense, but they're not buying into, I don't know, the, the overall feel of what he's doing. And, and theoretically, I guess, the, the idea is that Matt Patricia has that, and, but, but they still have a role for Desai, you know, we want your information, we just want to filter it through the guy with the pencil in his ear. If there's one thing we know, it's that players love Matt Patricia and always have. And you you see nothing but glowing, you know, comments. When he got fired, every Lions player was distraught. You know, Darius Slay on the roster. I, I still think it's funny. I think it was kind of, look, I mean, I don't, I'm not inside the building, but I think it was kind of silly. You play Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, and San Francisco. You go three and one, but yeah, you give up, you give up a ton of points, um, you know, in, in a handful of those games, Buffalo and San Fran in particular. I, I and I guess the, the the second Dallas game. Sorry, you played Dallas twice. Like right. you know, again, I'm not I'm not there, but I, I just I don't know. That, that's hard for me to kind of stomach. He was in Chicago for a very long time. Uh, quality control guy, gr- great with the secondary. He does super different things. He like spammed stunts his first year as a coordinator in Chicago because they couldn't get pressure. Like 
He's creative. He does things differently. I guess he is Fangio tree, so to speak. But you know, he was in Seattle the year before, uh, and I thought Seattle kind of outplayed their talent level on defense. I don't know. I just it's just maybe I'm just being annoyed because it's Matt Patricia of all people. But I think that guy's gotten plenty of shots and usually fails. Uh, so anyway, I just think it's interesting that they've kind of they've specified almost this new role for Desai where it's like, you're still, we're not just getting rid of you. We're not just firing you and moving in a different direction, which itself would be like a crazy panic move mid-season for a team that's still pretty good. It's like, no, we're, we're giving, we're turning the keys over to Patricia, but we still value the input you have. We just need to filter it through this guy first. It's just this, I don't know, it's a strange, there aren't too many moves I can think of mid-season, particularly for a contending team that have looked like that.